you pray with me? God, I am just so grateful that we can be together as church this morning and worship you and have our hearts lifted and our faith strengthened by singing those songs. And God, I just know in a room with this many people that there are some who've just had an amazing week. They have seen your hand in their lives in incredible ways this week. And there are others of us, honestly, our week has been awful. (laughs) And things just haven't gone the way that we had hoped they would, the way we had prayed they would. Wherever we are, God, this morning, help us to lean into the truth that we belong to you. You're in control. Help us to trust you, God. Strengthen our faith. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, we read these words. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard that he came home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left where he was teaching. In fact, there wasn't even room outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. I am convinced that we can't possibly grasp how difficult life was for that paralyzed man in the ancient world. Now, it's challenging. It is hard enough in our day for people who wrestle with physical difficulties. Our world can be unkind. Or at least we can be anxious about how to respond to somebody who doesn't fit easily into our fast-paced society. But the Greeks and the Romans were downright cruel. They just simply demanded that any child that was born with any kind of a physical abnormality be disposed of. And Jewish culture wasn't much better. They left this dark cloud hanging over anybody with a physical abnormality by just simply asking the question, who sinned that somebody would be born like that? This guy had it rough from the very beginning. He wasn't wanted or needed by any sector of the society that he was born into. He was completely dependent for the simplest needs in life. He had to have help getting dressed. He had to have help getting food. He had to have help to get from point A to point B every single day. Couldn't hold down a job. And so he was forced to beg by the side of the road, laying on his mat. He was dependent for his livelihood dependent on the coins that people would drop on his mat out of pity. But he does have one thing going for him. He's got friends. In fact, he has four amazing friends. This may be the best small group ever. 
he didn't have those friends, he would have never gotten to Jesus that day. If he didn't have those friends, he wouldn't have gotten healed. He would have ever been forgiven. Everything that happens that day in this man's encounter with Jesus goes all the way back to the decision that he made years ago in his life. The decision to develop some very good friendships. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in this, as Lisa said, this little two-week series called The Church at Its Best. And this morning, we're going to take a look at this account of these four men and their physically challenged friend. And in Mark 2, we have this great example of how we need to have each other's back and how we need to watch out for each other and how this life is supposed to be about more than just simply looking out for our own Needs. And I want us to dig deep into this passage because it's really easy to read these few verses that tell this story and miss the adventure aspect and, to just quite honestly, miss the comedy that unfolds in this story. These five guys are just flat out insane in what they end up doing in this story. And they are also tenaciously committed to each other, and to their friend. Nothing is going to get in their way. Watch what happens as Jesus is teaching. Mark writes, Since they couldn't get their friend to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. No big deal, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what anybody do. I mean, their plan A was crazy enough. Seriously, have you ever tried to carry somebody? Uh, Think about it, a toddler even. Have you tried to carry a toddler? You know, you've been out, you've been out a little longer than you should have been. You've reached the point that you've passed their endurance. And you know those words are coming. They're going to look up at you with those tired, exhausted eyes and say those words you're hoping to get by without. They're just going to say, will you carry me? And you know you've crossed the limit in their growth where it's just not possible anymore. I mean, buddy, you are just too big to be carried. But you try, you know, don't you? You pick them up and you think, I'll tough it out. You make about four steps and you, you just set them down and go, you're just too big, dude, really. We're going to leave you here for the coyotes and the vultures. It's not how we lost our third child, I promise you. Uh, But they're just too big. And they're not talking about a toddler here. This is a full-grown man that they're going to carry. It's crazy. Think about it. These guys made the decision to go see Jesus. And they're paralyzed friend obviously was a part of the plan from the beginning it's like they just went to his house and said dude we're going to see jesus in the morning and you're going with us we'll pick you up at eight o'clock they didn't give him a choice i mean because seriously when they picked their friend up they i mean they picked him up some of you'll get that later didn't work in first service either i should have just left it out and who knows how far they carried him 
It could have been like around the corner, but from the way the story rolls, you, you don't think it is. This is probably a mile or two. They're carrying this full-grown dude that weighs, I don't know, 150, 175, maybe 200 pounds. And the closer they get to where Jesus is, the crowd is building. This is a substantial crowd that's going to listen to Jesus teach. So they're jostling in the crowd, carrying a full-grown man on a mat. This is crazy. This is plan A. And we kind of get the idea from the passage that it took a little longer to get there than they planned on, maybe because of their commitment to their friend. But when they get there, for whatever reason, by the time they arrive, they can't get in. And that doesn't just mean they're in standing room only. They can't even get close to the door. And that means their friend isn't going to get seen by Jesus. Probably not going to get healed. So let me just ask, what would you do at that point? Right? I mean, you're standing there. You can't get close to Jesus. What would you do? And I'm assuming you are a logical, rational person, which, I mean, no, no, it's a jump for some of you. What what are your options? I mean, if it's me, I'm looking at this, and I'm going, all right, so let's figure out Jesus' exit route. So if we can't get close to the door, let's figure out what door he's going to leave by, and maybe we just get, you know, by the sidewalk and wait for him. We pick a prime spot, or we get on the road that he's going to leave by, get a prime spot. We just wait for him, right? Not these guys. That leaves too much to chance. These guys, this little community of friends dared to believe, right? They had a a faith that went beyond anything that was rational or logical or explainable. They dared to believe and embrace this bizarre idea that when two or three people are together, God's right there in the middle of them. They dared to believe that when we extend our hand to help somebody who's in need, God puts his hand right in there as well. And something extraordinary can happen. So they come up with their crazy plan B. They haul their friend up onto the roof. That's not a small task. I mean, it's enough to carry him to the house. Now they're getting up onto the roof with their friend who is no help. Five of them get up onto this roof and they kind of listen and they figure out what part of the house that Jesus is teaching in. And they mark out that spot on the roof that they can kind of figure if we dig here, this will let us lower our friend right down in front of Jesus. And they start to dig to make a hole. And we're not talking a small hole. Because like they're going to lower him on the mat. So you figure this has got to be like a four foot by six foot hole. Big hole. Substantial structural damage to the house. This is kind of a hole that's pretty obvious at this point. These guys are all in on their plan to get their friend in front of Jesus, right? And what would it have been like to be sitting there listening to Jesus, be like a front row seat... And this starts to happen up above you. It's a little distracting, you know. I mean, if somebody starts to dig this morning, drop somebody right down here in front, be a little distracting. I mean, some dust starts to fall and it gets in your hair and on your clothes, it gets in your eyes. And after 
just a few minutes, it stops being dust, and now it's big chunks of dirt, and it's palm leaves that start falling. And then the sky starts to shine through. You just go, you know, this is really an inconvenient day to have that skylight put in that we always wanted, but maybe the crew could come back another day. And at some point, Jesus just stops teaching. And you watch this hole just get bigger and bigger. Everybody's just kind of looking up going, really? Really? Is this, is this actually happening? And then when the men finish digging the hole, they have to fashion some kind of a rope and pulley system. And they start lowering their friend down. And they have just nailed it because he just drops down right in front of Jesus. And all their tenacity and all their loyalty to their friend pays off. Because the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What do you mean by that? And that's exactly what the religious leaders who were off to the side listening to Jesus teach started mumbling about. And if you read on in the passage, there's this dialogue that starts to happen between them and Jesus. And and they just go at it for a minute. And this guy's still just kind of in front of Jesus on his mat. And they're having this side discussion until basically Jesus has had enough of this. And he turns to the paralyzed man and effectively says, you know, I'm done with this conversation. I'm not going to leave you hanging any longer. And he says to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This is a guy who hasn't walked for years. I mean, those legs have atrophied. And right in front of them, all the muscle tissue regenerates. And all of a sudden, he's got coordination. Again, there's no physical therapy involved in this. He just gets up, folds up his mat, carries it, and the people, like, part, and he just walks out. I think the next verse may be the biggest understatement in all of the Gospels. When it says, this amazed everyone. Yeah, I bet it did. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is an amazing story. It's one of the most beautiful stories in all the Gospels. A paralyzed man stands up. Luke, in his Gospels, tells the same story. And Luke is a physician. Luke, telling the story, says, this guy didn't just stand up. He jumps up off that mat jumps up and walks out. He walks away with a new faith and a new life, all because of the faith and tenacity of his little community of friends. I love this story. I think we need to read it over and over and over again because our natural tendency is to avoid the truths that are just tucked in there ever so subtly. One of those truths is that we need each other, mats included. You know, at some point in their lives, these four guys 
looked at this paralyzed guy. They saw his deformity. And they knew how society viewed him. They knew that the rest of the world looked at him, didn't see any worth, didn't see any value. They chose him to be their friend anyway. Because they saw something there. And at some point, this paralyzed guy made the choice to open up and let these four guys in. To be vulnerable. He made the choice to be their friend, too. We need friendships like that in our life. Because every one of us has a map. And it may not be as obvious as this guy's, right? But we all have places of brokenness and imperfection in our life. For some of us, we have a temper that can get out of control. And we lash out with words and actions that hurt people, often the people that we love the most. For some of us, our mat is fear that we just can't get past. We read a story like this, and we can't imagine ourselves doing what these four guys did for their friend because all we see is risk and liability. We'd never dig that hole in the roof. For others, it's an inability to trust. For some, it's a strong tendency to control people and situations. Maybe your mat involves some horrible secret in your life. That you're afraid your closest friends will discover. And if they do, they'll never be your friends again. Maybe it's this crushing sense of failure or inadequacy or loneliness. And here's the deal. I think a lot of us spend far too much time in our life trying to hide our mat. And some of us, it's our life goal is to keep our mat hidden. We work so hard to prove to the people around us that we're competent, that we're strong. We pretend. I don't have a mat. And I've never known anybody who was successful at hiding their mat. Have you? We try to hide it. What we're generally successful at doing is driving away the people that we really want to have those friendships with, the people we really want to have that community with. We end up destroying what we so desperately want and need. Had this paralyzed man chosen that path in his life, he would have never experienced those relationships, and ultimately he would have never experienced the forgiveness and the healing that he found in Jesus. I think we're way better off to just admit not only that we have mats, but that we need help carrying those mats at some point in our life if we want deep friendships and if we want to experience deep change we have to lower our guard and let people in we can't always be the strong person in every relationship we can't always be the one who's carrying the mat for other people we have to be willing to show our weakness to show our mat to let somebody else help us there has to be a mutuality in those relationships 
And that can feel awkward when you begin. It can feel awkward and uncomfortable, but it's absolutely necessary. Depending on your family, how you grew up, that can be tough. It can be tough to be real about what's going on in your life. But it's critical to building the fellowship of the mat that these guys enjoyed. And I'll be honest, my tendency in my life would be to just cover up, to hide, to stuff all those things. Walk around on Sunday morning and go, yeah, I'm good, when people ask me how I am. When that's, you know, not true all the time. But my various journey with different small groups over the last 30 years has taught me the value of opening up. Now, I could talk about dozens of examples. Let me just give you one of the most recent ones. I've talked a few times about my mom and her Alzheimer's, and it was really difficult to watch a brilliant, compassionate woman first lose her mind and then lose her life to that disease. But I think it was equally as difficult to deal with the brutality and the meanness of my two brothers during that whole struggle. And one of the things that made it more bearable was that during that whole period, my men's group walked with me. Every time we met, you know, we'd do a check-in. And if I didn't say something about it, the guys in the group would ask me how that was going. You know, you holding back? Is there something you're not telling us? Is everything okay? They'd pray for me. They'd stop me on Sunday morning and ask how that was going. That meant the world to me. Just that check-in, to know that they cared and they were praying for me. They, they even offered to do some tangible things to help, and I accepted some of it. Some of it I just had to turn down. Two, two of the guys in the group, Uh, when they learned that my brothers were being especially cruel, offered to drive to Ohio and pay my brothers a Chicago-style visit (laughs) to ensure that they would never be cruel to me or my family again. Now, I didn't grow up in Chicago, okay? So it took me a little bit to understand what they were actually offering. And when I got it, I was grateful (laughs) and more than a little tempted. And I am still tempted on days to make that phone call. And I respectfully declined. Let me just ask you this morning. Where are those relationships in your life? Who are the people that you know well enough, that they will celebrate the good things that happen in your life with you? Who are the people that understand the crippling habits that you have that keep you from making progress? Who are the people who know you so very well and love you anyway and will walk with you no matter what. We need those relationships in our life. It's the way the Christian faith was designed to be lived. 
Let me just point out one more truth, and then I'll close. And it's easy to miss this one. In verse 5 of Mark 2, there are five little words. When Jesus saw their faith. You know, I imagine during that whole journey to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, during digging the roof and the whole scenario, (laughs) the thought going through those four guys' mind was this, just my imagining. We just want to get him close to Jesus. And they succeeded. I can imagine that thought going through their minds as they're digging and as they're fashioning ropes and they're lowering him down in front of Jesus. They got his attention. When Jesus looked up (laughs) and as their friends started coming down through that hole in the roof, what did Jesus actually see when he looked up? He saw four dirty, dusty, sweaty faces with huge smiles on them because they had succeeded in getting their friend close to Jesus. When Jesus looked up, he saw the faith of all five men. That's what caught his attention. Not just the faith of the one man who was paralyzed. All five. There's no record that any one of them said anything to Jesus. Their actions said volumes. All we're told is that when Jesus saw their faith, he was moved. All along the way, they trusted that Jesus had a kind heart, that he would help their friend. And somehow the four convinced the one to follow their crazy plan. To let them help him get close to Jesus. You know, it's probably the worst kept secret at Westridge that I am incredibly passionate about small groups. I believe to the core of who I am that every single one of you needs to be in a group. Part of it has to do with the fact that we all have stuff in our lives and that we'd all benefit from being in a group and getting help with that, dealing with the challenges of life. But the greater reason, even more important than that, is that there is a transformative power of community that you're missing out on if you're not in a group. Group life, community, changes and grows our faith. It makes us different. There was a power in that group of five that resulted in forgiveness and healing for the one man. And my guess is that day didn't just change his life, it changed all five of them forever. Something happened that day in community that never happened for that paralyzed man when he was all alone. The faith of the group changed them. And I've seen it happen over and over again, hundreds of times, where the faith of a group changes the trajectory of someone's life and faith forever. It 
changes them because of the relationships that are built as we get closer to Jesus in community. I love to think about this story and just imagine. What happened to that guy after that day? The Bible doesn't tell us. We never hear about him ever again. Where did his life go? What happened to him as he got to be 60, 70, 80 years old? Because Jesus healed his legs, did they stay miraculously strong the rest of his life? When his buddies were old and decrepit and they started using canes and I don't know if they had wheelchairs in that day. I mean, was he still running marathons? You know, because Jesus healed his legs? And I wonder if he kept that mat. Kind of rolled up and tucked in a corner. So that every time he looked at it, he remembered that day I believe that the best gift that he was given on that day was not the ability to walk. It was a group of friends who loved him enough to take a risk. A group of friends who shared his mat. A group of friends who helped him get close to Jesus. Communities like that still exist today. They're not always easy to be a part of, Sometimes people's mats in that group are heavy, hard to carry. They're awkward. Or sometimes there's a roof we have to tear through to get people the help they need. But for people who find their way into that kind of community, they'll tell you they never want to do life without it again. It's been a joy to watch one of those kinds of communities birth and grow here at Westridge. It's led by Joe Miller. And if you don't know Joe, it's probably because he's quiet. He's unassuming. He's just that kind of a guy. He's a behind-the-scenes servant here. But over the last year or so, he has assembled a group of guys who are now this mat-carrying, life-sharing, roof-busting men's group. And I'd love for you to just give a listen to their story this morning. When I first came here to Restridge a number of years ago, uh, I had turned my back on God for an awful long time. Uh, I came because uh, I had a daughter that nagged, and I had this hole in my heart that says, Bub, you got to do something, it's time. One of the things that was unusual about, uh, to me about Westridge was fair. when I walked in the door, I was comfortable. It's very unusual because I'm usually not comfortable with people that I don't know. People were very real here. I found that my scars and warts and bumps aren't really any different than anybody else's. I, it was like I was ambushed by the love and the grace that pours out of the walls here. In due time, I found out that I needed, figured out that I, I needed to get involved with a men's group. My way of doing things alone just wasn't cutting it. Uh, happened to be at Westridge East one day, that's Country Donuts with a friend of mine from here. We got to talking about uh, starting a men's group. Well, it happened. Sundays are really good here, uh, but we felt like we needed that extra jolt in the middle of the week 
So we started our group uh, on Wednesday nights, and we call it the Midweek Men's Tune-Up Group. That's a group that's home to eight guys now. We're all so very different, and yet we're all so much alike. I remember one night I happened to bring up to him that my mind's a dangerous playground, and I got no business going there alone. Yeah, funny thing, all the heads were nodding. It took a while for the group to gel. Uh, a new guy would come and wouldn't last, evidently. It just wasn't for him or he wasn't comfortable. But in due time, we ended up with the eight guys we have now. Uh, fewer referrals by the pastors. Others came as a result of word of mouth. But it's just been amazing to see how guys accept each other regardless of what state they're in. For example, uh, we had a fellow that came to us that was struggling with his sexual identity and his need for Jesus, and he felt very conflicted. We had another fellow that was referred to the group that came in just totally broken and busted and hurting, and because of his background and, and the way he was raised, he had absolutely no uh, appreciation or understanding of Jesus and all that he represents. The guys in the group dropped their prejudices and dropped uh, their own thoughts to help these guys and to be there for them. That's really what I've got your back boils down to. Giving of yourself unconditionally to somebody else when they're need. Helping to grow that other person spiritually. Walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Being Christ-like. And that's real honest to goodness, I've got your back. God had my back all those years when I had it turned toward him. And it's just a great thing to be part of a group where I don't have to go to that playground alone.